Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. Episode 42, Social Media, Finding Your Style, and Fraggles, with Andy J. Pizza. Hi, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Thank you for coming back and joining me again this week. This is, uh, I'm going to keep this fairly short so that we can get right into the interview. I had a wonderful conversation with Andy. It was quite a fun ride, and I'm hopeful you'll enjoy it. Uh, please stick around to the end. There's some <laughs> fun stuff that we get into. So uh, we'll get to that in a couple of minutes, but I thought I would talk about a couple of things that came up. So, you know, I always appreciate the feedback, whether it's a review in iTunes or a comment or an email to me directly, whether, you know, I'm doing well or I'm not. <laughs> I really want this to be something that we can enjoy together and that we can learn from. And so anything that you can provide as a matter of information is always so very helpful. And I'm glad, especially when I hear this impact that it has on uh, people's lives and hearing from people who are 12 and 13, who are just starting out drawing. And I, I know who you, know, you know who you are, um, and I hope you're listening again to this one. And, you know, the thought of maybe starting your own podcast or that this is something you listen to while you draw. I think it's just so wonderful to hear that. And to know that you're creating at this moment in time and that you've chosen to listen to this podcast amongst you know all the other wonderful ones out there and you'll hear about Andy's podcast later in the in the show. So, you know, I th I thank you for that. I want to be connected. I want to ensure that I'm providing the content that you find interesting and compelling and inspirational and that we're getting to, you know, some point of kind of creative evolution together and uh, you know, who knows what the end point will be, but uh, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to see that and enjoy it together. So uh, thank you for being here and uh, thank you for sharing. So I wanted to just um, read out a letter from Mike. Uh, Mike's in Washington State, and I got this uh, email through the comment form on the drawinginspiration.fm website. So I will provide a link in the show notes for that. So what Mike says is, I'm a 65-year-old beginner and just wanted to let you know that I thoroughly enjoy your art and your podcasts. Your drawing passion and the insights and depth of your podcast interviews is very motivational. I've always wanted to draw, but even my stick figures were lame. Now that I've embraced drawing for a whole two weeks now, I'm like a sponge. Seeing what you've drawn motivates me to continue my daily practice. Thanks for sharing your talent and your time. So I wanted to just speak to that. I think that it's wonderful to hear, once again, that somebody is a 65-year-old beginner. We can take this on at any point in life. And, you know, I think it is helpful to understand where we came from and where we're going. You can start at any point in time, and you don't need this, you know, massive volumes of information or sketches you've done. You can just start when you're 65. And I'm so glad to hear from Mike in Washington State, and that um, this podcast is contributing to his kind of creative journey, and I really hope to see where this takes you, Mike, and uh, thank you so much for listening. So as I'm looking, you know, it's it's been very busy with work for me. I have a full-time job, and trying to get everything kind of cleared away before the holidays is an annual feat, and it's uh, this year I'm taking a few extra days, so I'm going to have two and a half weeks off, and I'm devoting it to kind of relaxing and spending time with family but also a lot of this work that I'm going to be doing with uh, the podcast as well. And so there's a few things I'm going to talk about, but it's been really busy the last few weeks. So I've been doing a little bit of sketching. I've been doing some digital work, a little bit of graphite sketching, some colored pencil work. I haven't really shared a lot. I did share a graphite piece I did with uh, four ducklings in a duck house. And so 
as you know, if you've listened to the podcast, we do have a pond and I have a series of duck houses. We have ducks that come here and they nest every year and I always try and catch pictures of them. So this is based off a reference photo that I took of these little ducklings. And so what happens is they hatch and then within a day, they're launching themselves out of the hole to meet up with their mother and go off into the uh, to the woods and we never see them again. So it's one of those opportunities where if you don't catch it happening, you may never see these ducklings. You just may see an empty nest box. And it was just, it happens this year that there was a bunch of them piled up uh, in the hole and I grabbed that photo and then I drew it and I uh, really enjoyed it. I think I'm going to talk about where you'll end up seeing this again, but um, I, as I say, I've been doing a lot of little bits, but I wanted to share that one. I will be doing more over the coming uh, over the coming weeks. So yeah, in, in kind of planning for the uh, the holidays, I'm looking at a few things. One is I'm going to be putting out my first newsletter. And so I've asked you to subscribe to the newsletter, but I haven't put anything out yet. I'm going to be putting out the first uh, copy. I've been working on a framework for that. I'm going to be releasing my first one over the holidays, uh, probably into the first part of January, and then figuring out how I can do that on a regular schedule. I don't want to commit to something unless I know I can keep to it. So I want to produce a newsletter. I'm going to talk about the podcast. I'm going to talk about my art, some discovery that I'm doing. So we'll see where it ends up. But the first volume is coming out in January. And I hope you, uh, if you haven't subscribed, you can do so through uh, my personal website at mikehenley.com or through the Drawing Inspiration website. And uh, we'll see where this takes us. It'll be fun. And so what I'm also planning to do over the holidays is open up my first Etsy store. So I have everything a little bit staged and then I'm going to spin it up I probably, I think I've got eight uh, prints I'm going to make available. And one of them is going to be that little one I did of the four ducklings. And I'm also going to be working on some stickers. Those will come a little bit later, but I'm going to roll out of eight prints and we'll see where it goes. I'm excited about being able to share my work. And I will uh, share a link with you through the newsletter and I will post it, you know, on social media and that kind of stuff as well. So I'm hopeful that you'll find something there that's inspir- inspirational or motivational It'll be a lot of the work that I've talked about on the podcast. We'll see where that goes. I'm going to try it out and see. And I've been working on cleaning up the the scans and making these uh, prints available in a way that's going to be kind of efficient for me in delivering them to you, but also economical. And uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll be curious what you think. So something else I'm going to be working on is my art. So I'm going to be doing some additional graphite work over the holidays. I'm planning on doing some watercolor and gouache. I don't have everything set up for oils yet, so probably won't hit that over the holidays, but who knows. I do plan on doing a lot of creating, so I won't be doing any large pieces, but I will be doing some smaller ones, and obviously I'm going to post all those to Instagram and just have some fun with it, explore some uh, ideas that I have, and uh, we'll see what comes of it. But uh, I'm looking forward to uh, getting in touch with my creative side and being able to focus away from work and uh, seeing what happens. And then going into uh, uh, 2021, I'm going to be focusing on a theme for the year for myself and putting some dedicated time aside for the podcast and for my art. And I'll talk about that in the uh, the next podcast, which will come out on uh, December 28th. So I'm not taking a week off as I did last year. I do have a show planned for the 28th with an exciting guest that uh, I've been talking to for some time. Okay, I think that's it for updates. So let's get into this interview and uh, hold on because this was a very fun and exciting ride. And I'm sure you're going to love this one. 
My guest this week is a podcaster, public speaker, and illustrator who has worked with such notable companies as Nickelodeon, The New York Times, Apple, Google, and many others. He has also had a huge influence on creatives through his Creative Pep Talk podcast, his videos, and a number of other projects. His enthusiasm and humor are contagious, and his advice is timeless. He has struggled with ADHD, but has emerged as a strong and positive voice for all creatives seeking to take their endeavor to the next level. To talk about his creative journey and his art, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration podcast, Andy J. Pizza. Andy, how are you? Hey, I'm doing pretty good, all things considered, which is, you have to say that in 2020 because it's, it's serious. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time out to do this. You know, I've been following you for such a long time and, you know, believe it or not, you've actually been there for me without realizing it with your insight and your enthusiasm when I needed it. And I, so I, just, I wanted to just take start out the show by saying thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for doing the podcast and having those words of enthusiasm that you post on Instagram as well. So we're hearing it and I thank you for doing it. I really appreciate that. You know, uh, I've said this a few times, but I often feel like doing the podcast, posting stuff to Instagram, especially with the, you know, the quarantine and all that stuff this year. It, I feel very much like Russell Crowe in Beautiful Mind, and he's like posting stuff into this letterbox, and he thinks he's doing really important work, but then later he finds out that it's an abandoned letterbox, and there's nobody reading these things, and that you know that's kind of how it feels to be making a podcast in 2020. So I'm sure you can relate. You're just like, yes. is anybody hearing this stuff? So I really, really appreciate it. So we're going to go through a little bit of journey, and I know you've talked about this before, but uh, I think it's helpful for people to understand where you came from where sure. you are now, and maybe some of the lessons along the way. So, And so you're known for your illustrations, and obviously for the podcast, and your work with these you know, large companies. <laughs> and I'm wondering, how did it start for you? Is this, you know, we all draw as kids. Is this something that you grew up thinking, I want to be some kind of artist? Yeah, I, it's a great question. I think I, you know, I have been drawing my whole life. That's the classic tale. I, you know, I think it's, it's interesting. I I thought about why did I start drawing, and it's it's funny because anybody that knows me knows I hate sports. It's just not interesting to me. I can't pay attention to sports, and and I think for the longest time that made me think that I'm not a competitive person. And then I did this personality test. It's actually a legit personality test. It's called Strengths Finder, based on data. It's re- it's really good. It's one of the best that I've ever taken. And in my top five strengths was competitive, and I thought. What? That's I then I realized the reason I hate sports is because I suck at them. That's how competitive <laughs> I am. As I'm like, you know, vindictive about it. I'm like, screw you, sports. You, you know, you always treated me wrong. And but when I I looked back and I realized like my drawing started from, you know, seeing my cousin draw Ninja Turtles really well and being like, I could, I could do better than that. So it came out from this weird competitive spirit, I think, early on. And, um, you know, I, I always, I drew things kind of as like a, you know, just like a coping mechanism, I think, often of just like, you know, I have ADHD. I'm really open about all that. But I think it's something that I could hyper-focus on and, and that I could, you know, kind of improve on over time and, and just make things that were boring, not boring, you know, like just drawing in class and all, just, all, it was kind of an outlet for, for that. But you know, all the way through childhood, every growing up in Indiana, I didn't have any, I never saw anybody that drew for a living or made pictures for a living that I saw myself in. I just thought, you know, I'm not going to, you know, when you live in the Midwest and, and you grow up in, in, uh, in the suburbs, 
especially at the time, you just don't have any, all of my references for people that were making art for a living, they were just all things that I didn't want to do. Like my mom would, my, my stepmom would com- constantly try to get me to take um, behind the scene tours at Disney uh, for animation. And I was just like, I'm not going to be an animator. I know that. I just do not have the, the, the mental bandwidth to sit there and do frame after frame. I just knew it. I was like, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to do that. So I just thought it was a hobby. And it wasn't until I kind of was introduced to more graphic illustration, posters, logos, editorial stuff. Like, but that by the time I discovered that, I was 16 or 17. And that was the first time where I was like, oh, I, this is me. I'm probably not, I'm not the person that I'm sure, you know, a lot of your listeners and probably guests, there's a, probably a, a good portion of people that are just like, lo- they love to draw. And I'm not, that's not really me. I'm much more, I love crafting an image. I love crafting a picture. And, and you know, editorial illustrators, people like that, that's kind of what I feel like I do. Interesting. And so yeah. from there, you went and got a formal education? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of, yeah, I did, but it's hard. It's kind of, I don't know if I would, I don't know how I'd describe it. I, um, so I, I discovered band posters when I was 16, 17, indie rock, this alternative scene. And I just saw like, I, I think it was also one of those things where I'm not musically inclined and I was so obsessed with music and I was so obsessed with my friends that had bands. I thought this is kind of a way for me to be in the band without playing music. Like I'll just make all of your merch and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so that's, I discovered that. And then I said, I decided my, my dad actually was getting transferred to a job in the UK at the time. And I had the opportunity right when I graduated to do college over there. And so, um, I said yes to that call to adventure and decided to go into, I did one year in illustration and then I switched to the design program and did two years, their bachelor programs, three years. So I did do that, but it was, it was kind of a weird program, you know, like I, I have some really, uh, inspiring close classmates from that time. And I have a handful of professors that I, you know, that I even stay in touch with that were really formative for me, but the program itself was, and maybe it's the best thing for me. It was super open. Like we more or less just had a ton of time to make stuff. There wasn't a ton of like heavy handed instruction. I'm a pretty motivated person. And so it wasn't, it was a bad thing for some people, but for me, I just took those three years and I just made huge piles of stuff. And that was kind of my education. Yeah. Because I think there's always the struggle, especially with, uh, I mean, at any age, but, you know, people in later in life who decide they want to get into art of some sort, the path isn't always clearly defined. It's not always no. that you have to go and get an education. Some classes, Skillshare, YouTube, uh, in-person workshops, they all benefit this, but it's not a clear, a clear direction to say that you have to go to college. No. Or university and get a degree. Absolutely. I think it's it's great that you found that there because I have spoken to others who learned what they need, but they came out of it thinking, I didn't need it all. And I could right. have probably gotten by without. Sure. And I, you know, I'm glad you said that. I get a lot of questions about, should I go to art school? Should I do that? Whatever. And kind of my point of view is it's kind of a, in the middle. It's not, it's not an extreme point of view. If you can go to art school without getting buried in debt, if somehow you have that opportunity, I would say go for it, mainly for the network. Like just finding people that are doing what you want to be doing already and, and they know people and, 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 they can, and, and just the osmosis. There's something about 
you know, some kind of mental limit that's lifted from your brain when you see somebody in real time in face to face doing what you want to be doing. There's something somehow that kind of changes what you think is possible and, and has a big effect. So time with practitioners, connections with other students, networking through that lens, those are all super valuable things. And you can find them at art school. It's one of the places where they're most concentrated, but it's also the place where it's the most expensive. And it's not going to give you everything else that you think it is. It's not going to give you all the you know, insane skill and all that. If you are a self-starter and you don't have the option to go uh, into school without debt, I, there are a lot of places you can find practitioners and collaborators and networks, conferences, online communities, Instagram, whatever, YouTube, all the things you said, Skillshare, like go do it there. If, if you, you can piece together that stuff other places um, without getting into a crippling debt, that means that you'll never be able to pay your way as an artist. Like that's, you know, it's a tragedy to me. Yeah, and I think uh, I'm going to come back to social media because I think, you know, what you're highlighting is community. Yeah, 100%. Building that in school, um, social media allows us to do that through a forum where they, you know, monetize us, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whether That's we like true, it or yeah. not. <laughs> but I wanted to kind of understand, you know, after you finished that, what was it you wanted to draw? How did you get your first gig? What kind of work were you doing? Because uh, I know you've talked about uh, time and again about you know, creating your pro, pro, uh, your portfolio yeah. based on what you want to do. Oh, yeah. Did you have that thought then and did you end up doing what you wanted to do? Um, you know, I think maybe, maybe I did have a little bit of that. I've always been uh, back to that strengths finder test. One of my top strength is strategy. So I've always been a strategic thinker. I'm always thinking with the end in mind, with a goal, how do you reverse engineer getting to that place? So I, that's, I've, I think I've always thought like that. But one thing I talk about, on the podcast or I talk about on stage is, um, have you ever played Super Mario Brothers 3? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so for those, I, cause I know you got a whole spectrum of different listeners, but, um, Super Mario Brothers 3, if you're not familiar, classic game, there's a, there's a, I, there's a secret item in the game. It's called the warp whistle and it will allow you to skip levels. And if you know what you're doing, you can put enough of those warp whistles together to, quick run through that game and get to the final boss super quick. You can get to Bowser really fast if you know how to be strategic like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, the problem is, if you've never played the game, what's going to happen? You might get to the last level, but Bowser's going to kick your butt, right? And you're going to be sent back to the start of the game just as you were. Playing the game is actually how you get good enough to beat the final boss, right? right. So that's a lesson on Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it also applies to life. I, you know, I actually made some strategic marketing moves and we can dive into some of that if you want early on in my career that meant a year out of school, I was given the opportunity to work with one of my all time dream clients, Nickelodeon. I was good. They asked me to do some illustration to be animated on their channel. And I was like, boom, I did it. I warp whistled my way to the final boss. And here it is. And I, made every I made you know I gave that job everything that I could possibly give it I made the you know I did every trick that I had unfortunately I haven't been playing the game that long so I didn't have that many tricks up my sleeve and I but I sent over everything I had and they replied really quick and they said something I sent them my final drawings and their reply to those finals were was 
Rough draft looks okay. Looking forward to seeing how it shapes up in the, fi- <laughs> in the finals. And the, the worst part was that because I'd literally already exhausted everything I knew how to do, I couldn't think of anything to do other than to reply, um, those are the finals. Uh, <laughs> so needless to say, they were not stoked about that. That massive dream opportunity, I more or less went down in flames. And so all the strategy in the world wouldn't make up for the lack of competency. You know what I mean? I, I just wasn't ready for that. And then I spent the, and I thought, you know, that's a once in a lifetime dream. That's gone. It's not, it's not going to happen again. And, and so I, for a, I quit for a while. I took down my website. That, I mean, there were other factors like the recession and a whole bunch of other things, but I just more or less like packed it up. And then eventually I gave it another try. I, I started doing a lot of side projects, a lot of self-initiated stuff that was like the kind of stuff that I'd like to get hired to do. I did a, po- a project on book covers from the public domain. I did a daily drawing project where I drew a new character every weekday for a year. I started to learn how to d- draw digitally because I just, I just noticed that um, this, is, you know, this is what I needed to do to be up to snuff for this kind of stuff. Through a few different moves, a few years after that, uh, I got an email from someone at Nickelodeon <laughs> that said, uh, we'd like you to do some illustrations to be animated on our show. And I just like, <laughs> you know, I, I used everything I'd learned over the years doing these side quests, doing these side projects. And, you know, I played through the game, no warp whistles and got to the boss, sent him my final illustrations. And I don't really remember what the reply was to those, but I know it was something of the effect of, can we have more? And and that, that client ended up being, we ended up working like 15 times together. They ended up becoming the client that I built my, my illustration practice on and made it so that I could go full time. And so it's a, you know, that's the redemption story. But I think it, I think a lot of that gets at uh, a lot of my philosophy on, you know, you gotta, you gotta have your gift before you bother giving it away. And you gotta, you know, put, put in the time and energy to, um, to develop your craft before you get to the final boss. Right. And uh, yeah, I think I have a couple things to say on that. One is, you know, it's, it's interesting you compare it to gaming. Um, uh, yeah. Cause <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I figured it was either you were going to talk about gaming or Fraggle Rock, right? But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, fra- give it some time. We still have time to talk about Fraggles. <laughs> so, but it's interesting because, and I think that's the challenge people have is when going through life that they give up too easily mm-hmm. or, or they, they push too hard on the, on the journey they think they should be on. And that idea of it being a video game. I mean, video games are designed by programmers to be really easy in the beginning. <laughs> so yeah, that, 100%. You, know, you can, you can, if you're in a shooting game that you can hit somebody's hat and they'll die. Right. Yeah. So it's designed it's like to be, beginner's luck. Exactly. And I think a lot of people have that when they start art careers or even just an art practice of any kind. I think you, you know, the first time you draw anything half good, everybody in your life is like, Whoa, this is amazing. And then you do another one. And like, yeah, we know. We know you can do that. We don't want to see anymore. Keep them to yourself. Um, and so, yeah, there's that. That's the same. It's the same uh, trajectory. I think the other bit with that too is, and I think you've talked about this as well. Is you know when you look at a piece, you're seeing maybe the last ten minutes of work. Like you're not seeing, you know, all, you know. Let's say all the years that you put into it, but you're not seeing the ten hours you may have spent on that piece. And I think yeah. that's really hard sometimes to when you show somebody what you've done is to to be able to take that criticism and mm-hmm. they may not know 
I spent 12 hours on that. <laughs> so I think, uh, it's, I think it's good that you're sharing that because people need to hear that it's, you know, the people that have had success in illustration or art of any form, it's not always a straightforward journey. And, no. Uh, and actually, you know, one of the things that we talk about nonstop on the podcast, but it's something that I will never shut up about is uh, the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. And if you're not familiar with that, everybody should go check out the work of Dr. Carol Dweck. Uh, she has a book called Mindset. And it's, it's just a, it's a study about, they, they figured out what goes into a successful person. And one of the key, the top thing is the growth mindset. And the fix, so the fixed mindset says your talent, your ability, your IQ, all that stuff, it's fixed. There's nothing you can do to change it. You are what you, what you are. The growth mindset says all of those things can be improved. Now, if you have the fixed mindset and you're given a challenging test and you're not sure you're going to do well on it, then a fixed mindset person will give up because if they get a failing grade, it doesn't say, oh, you failed that test. It says you are a failure, not just you did bad on this, you're bad. And so you will run from anything that you don't excel at from the get-go. And the growth mindset, if you give a kid with a growth mindset a test that's challenging, they're going to be like, yeah, let's dig into this. A fun challenge. Let's see what I can learn. Let's see what can, can happen. And I think this is so relevant to creativity because there's a narrative. All the narratives of our culture perpetuate this idea of the fixed mindset because every, you know, through my early career, I wasn't putting effort into anything because what I was looking for was the moment I was going to walk into a guitar center and pick up a guitar for the first time and just, whoa, I'm going crazy. And everybody's gathering around and like, have you seen this guy? How, how long have you been playing? This is the first time I've ever played. Like that's what creative people were taught to look for. Supernatural, freakish talent from the onset. And that's the fixed mindset. And, you know, I've kind of made it my career to not follow this talent, but follow curiosity of just like, am I interested enough to get good at it? If I am, then I'll do it. You know, and I've, you know, I've built a career that has multiple arms that are kind of, you know, the, the, the core might be the same, but the, but the actual craft is drastically different when it comes to public speaking, podcasting, interviewing versus monologues. And it's all these different things. And they're all things that I've just actively wanted to learn how to get good at. Yeah. Now, I have a question for you. I have a Patreon and I know you do yeah. as well. So one yeah. of my pat patrons uh, sent me a question and I think it's a perfect timing for this. So this is Rachel's question. I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit, but you've talked openly about having ADHD and you know she talks about the atypical strengths and weaknesses and having that. What if you can comment about finding the balance between listening to others, you know, and getting feedback about your work versus doing your own thing, regardless of what others think, how have you navigated that? And, you know, it, the creative tension that comes from that? Yeah. I, by the way, I just want to compliment the question because this is one of the, this is a question that I have tried to explore in the deepest level because it's an age old creative question, right? Should you only listen to yourself? Or is it valuable to take critique and feedback and take that on board? And the truth is, I think the problem with that question is that it's, it's, a, it's a dual 
binary way of thinking about it. I think that's the way, you know, we're dual thinkers. We think it's either this or that. It's Democrat or Republican. It's black or white. It's off or on. Like something about our brains work in that code. It's a zero or a one thing. Mm -hmm. And I think anytime you're faced with a question like that, you should just automatically reject it. You should just automatically be like, nope, it's not either. It's both. And, I, and the reason, and so the way I think about it and how I actually think life for whatever reason, we're, we have that programming to think it's one or the other. But life, our experience tells us that everything is much more like a story or a season. And so the way I think about it is those are not an either or. Those are when. When do you do those things? And who? Who are you taking on board? So the way I think about it is I actually, this is kind of maybe a subversive kind of thought in the creative world, but I, I believe feedback and connection with others and your audience connection to your audience is a vital part and is actually essential to your creative practice. And, and I would say the creative process doesn't even end until you've got feedback. That is part of the process, but it's, it's a late, that's the later part of the process. The process starts with your own intuition and your own taste and satisfying your own desires and interests. My favorite way to explain it, everybody's heard the golden rule, do unto others as you want done to yourself. And I think that sounds really nice. I think the first time I heard it, I probably thought that means be nice to people because it's nice when people are nice. Um, but what I actually think, it, I think there's maybe a secret layer of like, this is the purpose of life. And, and I think what it is, is do unto others as you want done to you. You have a secret knowledge of what do you, what just really lights you up? That's your taste. What do you like when someone, do, you know, for, for me, I'm someone with the love language of words of affirmation. I just like when somebody not showers me in fake compliments, but just somebody who really sees me and says, you know what? I really appreciate that thing about you. I know what really lights me up. I, and like I said, I just quantified part of that. Part of it is it has to be authentic. Um, and, it ha and I like when someone notices something that no one's ever noticed. So it's, you know, there's all this criteria for like why something works for me. That's your taste. That's your intuition. That's the, that is the, that's the true north of your creative practice is saying, what do I like to see in a picture? You know, if you're an illustrator or someone who draws things, what, what makes you just like, man, I love when this, when, when an artist does that and then using your critique to make it even more towards your taste to say, oh, I like that artist and that artist. The thing I don't like is they never, they never take that detail and turn that to 11. That's the part that really does it for me. And the way I think about it is like for a stand-up comic is I feel like they're the masters of this balance of listening to themselves and listening to their audience. They don't get up on stage and say, hey, guys, tell me what's funny uh, and I'll just say it. They don't, that's not the, how they listen to the audience. They start with creating a list of these are the things that I think are funny. And then they go on stage. That's step two is asking which of these, not just which do you think are funny, but Am I successfully transferring what's funny about those things to you? Am I good at, enough at the craft of transferring why these things are funny to me? And that's the testing, that's the sounding board, and that, that's the way that you actually improve your instrument, I think. But I think it always has to, and, and sometimes it starts with, I mean, hopefully, in the comedian sense, it starts with things that no one else has found those things funny yet. So that is really important to be like, yeah, I think this is funny and, and, and I am not listening to anybody else about whether initially they think it's funny.
because I'm just, because I'm not, does that make sense? Because yep. it's their job to find fresh material, things that people haven't thought about through a comedic lens. So there is that part of the process that is going out on your own path, collecting things that only do it for you. And then it, but I do think then it's your job. It's your job to sell it, to be like, okay, let me get it. I need to get it out in front of people. And, and am I able to show them what is so fantastic about this thing that nobody else has explored? And I think the challenge, you know, to take the, the comedy analogy a bit further is, yeah, especially with social media, is you're sharing it, but you want to make sure you're in the right room. Oh, <laughs> talking to the right people. And I, that's the 100%. You know, that's the stuff that can be frustrating sometimes because it could be that your art is really good, but the wrong people are seeing it. And it's really yes. hard in social media to understand is it because I'm bad or is it because the wrong people are attracted to me? It's a struggle sometimes, right? Because you put something up and you think, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of followers on Instagram, so my numbers will seem ridiculous. But <laughs> you put something up and you get like 30 likes. And you're yeah. thinking, what's wrong with this, right? And mm. I normally maybe get 60 or 100 or whatever yeah. the case. And I put a lot of effort into this and it means something to me. I know other people don't see the narrative around why I chose this. Yes. But it, am I feeding the wrong audience? Or am I just not good? And that's yeah. that's hard. I mean, as a, as a comedian, you can walk into a room and you could be presenting material which you think is really good, but they're just a bunch of 10-year-olds, so they yeah. don't get the jokes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying these people are 10-year-olds on Instagram, but it does feel like that sometimes, right? Absolutely. I Honestly, I think you need to be really, really smart about how you think about your perception of feedback. And, and there's a few things I just want to speak to there because I think that's a huge thing that creative people are going to have to come to terms with. The first thing is, um, you know, I heard Seth Godin say this the other day and I'm like, oh man, I freaking love this. So you can be great your first time you make something, but you can't be popular your first time. Like popularity, fame, uh, you know, all that, that just is a long game. That's just like you have to, and, there, and there's chance. There's a bunch of pieces to that, but you can't grade it on just popularity, you know, alone from the get go. Um, but this, the second thing is you got to factor in a bunch of things. Like for instance, I always like to joke that the Mona Lisa was posted to Instagram at the perfect moment for the algorithm to pick it up like that, you know, and what if he posted it the next day? Like that's what the Mona Lisa is. It, it was, it was a context. There were so many pieces to why that thing ended up becoming what it became. And so that you got to take that with a grain of salt. But I think the solution is solution isn't the solution is showing up for target practice every single day that yes, if you go into a random room as a comedian, and you show up to the wrong club, you know, that's going to be bad. You could show up to the right club, but just the wrong crowd that night. The solution to that is finding the right communities, 100% plugging into those, the right social platforms, whatever you want to say. But then even beyond that, it's not, you could go to the perfect club, wrong crowd, and then still leave thinking I sucked. But if you go to that perfect club 15 times this month, you're going to start seeing the averages kind of even out. And at the end of the day, you're going to improve no matter what. And so that, that's kind of the way, because you know what, honestly, that, that's the same thing that happens to me all the time as a professional, as someone out here do, making stuff every day. There's so many times, oh, well, there's even, this is an even better example. Like there's so many, to, I, I actually, um, one thing I try to get people to do is divorce your relationship to chronological order when it comes to social media. 
The reason that all these social platforms are creating stories on every single platform is because that they're trying to deal with people's obsession with, with social media being synonymous with chronological order or timelines. But that is not the way, that's the way that creators think. That's not the way that consumers think. If, if you're not a creator, you're just consuming, really what you want is the best stuff. That's all, you don't care. You don't care if it was posted three hours ago, five, you know, it doesn't matter to you. So they don't care and they're not changing it. It's good for the advertisers. It's good for all kinds of things for their side. So what I suggest uh, and what I find really encouraging is there are so many times where I post uh, an image that I put a ton of effort into. I had a breakthrough on. I'm like, man, this is, I'm so pumped about it. And then it falls flat on Instagram. And then I'm depressed the rest of the day. I'm just like, why? <laughs> why? What? I can't understand it. And the, the best way is to show up to that club and tell the same joke the next night. And so the, what I have done is six months later, I'll post it again. And I'm telling you, I was just hearing a story of these people that make uh, videos for Facebook. They have the big YouTube as well. And they'll, they'll just post the video six times. They'll repost it over a few months. And you know, it'll be the seventh time that it goes viral or it'll be the, the, it, it, the circumstances are ridiculous. So I, that's something I do. I, I post all of my stuff multiple times over long periods of time. Um, and I can't tell you how many times I had an intuitive thing about a picture where I'm like, this is one of my best things where it went flat the first time. And the second time it turned into one of my biggest posts of all time. So there is a, there's a trusting. And then there's also a due diligence of collect enough data to actually, you know, if you were a scientist, which I try to take a little bit of a scientific approach to creativity, um, if you were a scientist, you wouldn't do one test and say, that's the result. No, all of your peers would be like, that, we have to throw that out. That's not, we can't, you know, we need, we need you to take that test 85 times with all these controls. And, you know, you, what are the controls? They're things like algorithm, they're things like time of the day, they're things like, you know, they're things like the election. They're things like there's a million factors to why people perceive what they perceive. And I think you, and it, when it comes to taking feedback, which I do believe is completely and utterly essential, I think you've got to be more methodical about that, um, which includes also the anecdotal data of just people you trust. You know, I have my wife, my wife will tell me the truth. She's going to tell me the truth. When I show her something, and we don't, but I also learn we don't have the same taste. We have a similar taste, but it's not the same. So sometimes something really does it for me and it doesn't do it for her, but it doesn't mean it's bad. But I have a handful, um, Seth Godin, again, bringing them up again. He talks about it and I call it the taste test. You have 10 friends who you know, you've got a lot in common in terms of taste. You send them all the new thing that you're working on. If none of them share it with anybody else, it didn't really work. It, you know, um, and that's your taste test. And so I, I get very, I'm very into the, the testing and, and making sure that you do your due diligence on those areas. I want to talk a little bit more about social media because I think this is exciting and mm -hmm. your insight is incredible. So you did the character day. Yeah. This was back when Tumblr was big. Yeah, true. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and this blew up for you on Tumblr, right? That's mm -hmm. um, this character day. You ended up connecting with some uh, a corporation and... That was fantastic for you. I had, we both had um, Lisa Congdon on our podcast, and for her, yeah. Flickr was a huge impact to her career. So I'm wondering, as creatives now, are we looking too much to Instagram and the social platforms as too much of a 
a set path for us to, to have success? Are we thinking, I'm going to do what Andy did on Instagram? Yeah. Are, we, are we leveraging that too much instead of trying to understand where else, how we can diversify and how we can be better? Because the, the stories we hear as creatives, right, is that, oh, Andy was on Tumblr at the right time and people were looking at his stuff and he was a great creative and that connection was made. And, and same with Lisa, she was perfect on Flickr with her stuff. How do we manage that, right? Like that's 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 a challenge. Understanding, yeah, am I in the right place? One hundred percent. I mean, am I? And you you nailed it. Am I in the right place? That that's it. And I have so much so much to say on this because this is a huge stumbling block for so many creative people. When you listen to to Lisa's story, you listen to my story, whoever's. You've got to take take the philosophy, but don't take the details because the details have changed. And when you when you said, you know, am I in the right place? This is something I, I, I talk about this all the time. It's the same as real estate, right? The three rules of real estate, location, location, location. If you are starting a coffee shop, right? And, and it's a new trendy coffee shop, where are you going to go? You're going to go in the place in the city where it is already extremely established and there's 15 other coffee shops. No, that's not what you're going to do. You're going to say, I'm going to go find the up and coming place. I'm going to go find the place where there's no coffee shops or there's one bad coffee shop and everyone hates it. Like, that's where I'm going to set up shop. And the same goes, social platforms are exactly the same. And you, you're going to have to dive, uh, you have to divorce yourself to the romance of your heroes, the way your heroes did it. There's so, every musician I know, my, my God, I love musicians. They're like my favorite creators, but they're, they've got some really terrible mythology that just, it, it, you know, destroys them. Every, you know, they all want to be Bob Dylan. I'm like, Yo, that pathway is gone, okay? One of the things you've got to notice is if the pathway, it's paved and there are cottage industries alongside of it to make money off the people on the path, not, there, there's no gold at the end of that rainbow. Like it, they, they went to the end and they saw, oh, there's no money here anymore and they're going to go back and sell to people in line, right? You can't, you got to find the wilderness. You got to find, when I started a podcast, it was pretty hard to do, like and I, you got to find those places. Where are the places where people are making it up still, right? And I, I'd actually argue podcasting is still wilderness. We're still in the Wild West. It's a, I think it's a great place to be playing. Um, but Instagram is a great example of something that, you know, by the time the, the corporations and, and, the, and the company itself are just, you know, milking the, milking the creators dry of how can, in every single way, we can maximize the people that are already successful on here. Like a lot of the gold is gone at the end of that rainbow. And, and what I would say is don't be romantic about the platform. Don't be romantic about the accolades. Be romantic about the heart of the connection between you and your audience. And so, you know, when I, I was talking to a filmmaker, this is a guy, he's pitched to every, every TV company. He has great connections in Hollywood, blah, 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 all this stuff. Like he, you know, he's done the work, but he's just been in pitch world for years of his life of just pitch after pitch after he's just in meetings. You know, he's, he's not, he doesn't have a creative practice. It's a creative proposal. And what I try to get at is, you know, what is it about making movies? What is the connection that you want to make with people? Get to that, whatever that is, and then divorce yourself from the medium, be medium agnostic and get to what is the feeling that I want to produce in my people and where are people's attention? Where are people getting that now? Where are they trying new places? Where are they willing to, um, you know, for a minute, 
It might have been Instagram TV, and you know, for uh, for a minute, it might have been TikTok. For my, you know, whatever it is, but but it, it does matter what your medium is. It matters, and it matters where are what is the feeling you're trying to produce in people? And maybe it's not a feeling. Maybe it's uh, you want to teach them something. Maybe it's cerebral. Maybe you know whatever. But get to that target. Figure out where that is. What are you trying to provide for people? And where are people actually actively tasting new things? There's always going to be a new part of town. There's just the nature of ecosystems. Is that part of town's going to die off? That part of the town's going to come up and coming. That part, it's just going to just going to ebb and flow and pendulum. And you've got to be strategic about that. And part of it looks like not getting romantic about doing it the way your hero's done it. It's okay if you're never an Instagram star, whoever's listening to this. It's okay. Doesn't, guess what? It's not going to matter how many Instagram followers you have in five years anyway. Nobody's going to care because we're going to all be on Grubel, <laughs> the new app. <laughs> that doesn't exist. But, um, but yeah, that, that's the way it goes. You got to be, be unapologetically obsessed with connecting with people in the way that you want to provide value and be completely unapologetically and agnostic and apathetic about the platform or the medium. It doesn't, it, that just doesn't matter. Excellent. I like that answer. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that. I got a lot of feelings about it, yes. I guess. It seems like you're on the fence on that one a little bit. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I have a question for you about, um, you mentioned podcasting. I started this podcast because I wanted to talk to people and I wanted to be better starting late in life. Why did you start the Creative Pep Podcast? That's a great question. And, you know, like anything that I ever do, being just a strategic thinker, I love, uh, you know, I need like three or four layers of strategy before I say yes to something. So it's got to be firing on multiple cylinders. The, the bottom cylinder, the, the thing that it always has to be doing is because of ADHD, it's got to just be a pure outpour of it. You know, it's got to be clean energy. That's the vlog brothers call it. Like clean energy is just like pure passion. I just want to do it. I'm just obsessed with it. And 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 I'd already been kind of an early adopter of podcasting. Like I I've been I'd already been in 2014. I probably had already been listening to podcasts for six years or something. I I I was already all about the medium, and so it was pure in that way. It was also pure. There it was completely driven by. From a early, my first illustration job I got, the first time I had any even hint of success, I just instantly wanted to turn around and be, tell all of my friends, this is how I did that. Like, let me show you how to do it. Like, I, I just wanted to bring people along. Anybody that knows my story knows that I grew up with a creative mom who just had a million struggles. You know, she's, I think she's got un, undiagnosed ADHD. Just the typical story. I don't even need to tell it because you know it. You know how many creative people just struggle, right? Um, and then I had so many people that I graduated with that, that were just brilliant people that would go on to, you know, if I'm honest, OD and kill themselves with, you know, drugs and all, just all these horrible, tragic stories. And the funny thing is the further I got on my journey, the more I wanted to help people because I started, when I hit rock bottom, when I gave up my business, I turned to one of the darkest things you can turn to. Some people turn to drugs. I turned to marketing podcasts and business books, the dark, dark, dark <laughs> things. And, um, and I was like, I felt like a sellout. You know, I'm like, why, th what am I doing? But I started reading these books and, and reading these magazines and I listening to their case studies and and, you know, reading profiles on people like Steve Jobs, and I would listen to these business people talk about Steve Jobs, and I, 
I, everything I read about him, I'm like, I know a million people like this. They're creative people. Like all these business unicorns, they're like, who is this person? I'm like, that's a creative person. Your schools are littered with them. The problem is you don't have, you don't have the act. They have to prove themselves. They have to be these, not just creative. They're not just talented. They also have to be freaks in the right place, the right time with the craziest resilience to get to the point where they're undeniable, where no one can ignore them. And that's when they put them on the cover, right? And so I just got to the point where I was just more and more convinced that like the business world and the regular mainstream world and culture is desperate for all these people that are right here. They're right. And they're just walking around. And so, you know, the more I learned about thriving as a creative person, built my illustration career, you know, I, I have, you know, I bought a house with illustration and my career before I ever had a podcast. Like I, the further I got, the more I just got more obsessed with helping creative people and sharing everything I learned and, and getting them to be not afraid of business because that fear of business is actually how they get taken advantage of. Like, you know, people that I don't want to read my contract and like, yeah, that's, that's, you know, that fear is why they're taking the whole farm. Right. Um, that was like the, the, the bottom layer, but the, you know, the career layer was also that I'd had an experience doing public speaking. This is the st career str strategic career move is that I'd, I'd had this amazing experience doing public speaking where I felt more in my calling than I'd ever felt more than illustration, but I wasn't getting any many inquiries to go speak anywhere. Uh, especially to do the kind of talks that I wanted to do, which were less instructional. They weren't like portfolio talks or anything like that. They were emotional, personal analogies, storytelling, jokes, blah, 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 all that stuff. And so I just decided to reverse engineer those opportunities. If I wanted to get invited to go speak at conferences, they were going to have to hear talks of mine. Um, and so I started the podcast initially for the longest time. We never even had interviews. It was just monologues and we still are primarily a monologue podcast, although we do a lot of interviews now. And I was just set out, I was going to make a hundred episodes and there was just going to be a, that was just going to be a portfolio of my talks. That's what, that's what I thought. And so that was a side project to just do the work that I wanted to get hired for before anybody recognized that I could do it. Good idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> How's it worked out? Oh yeah. I mean, it's been great. I, the podcast massively exceeded my expectations. I never expected to make a dime on it. I nev definitely never thought I would meet the people that I've met and I, or have the speaking opportunities that I've had. So it, it, it's been really, I'm very grateful. And I know you've, you've spoken openly. I, I saw you uh, made a post today on Instagram just talking about mental wellness in, in mm -hmm. this year, this challenging year. Yes. And the, the impact with ADHD and losing routine and all of this as well. I'm wondering, is the... Do you ever think about not doing the podcast? Yeah, I've thought a lot about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, the ADHD thing is an interesting uh, part of that equation because I've talked about this openly. I don't take medicine for it. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not judging anybody that does. I have, there's, there, were, there was a time in my life where I was taking medicine for it and it just, it, you know, I just decided against it. It, there's downsides to this strategy, but my strategy thus far has been to just make everything that I have to do things that I want to do. That's the real problem of ADHD. I don't think, I do not think the culture has a, even the slightest understanding of what it actually is, but a huge part of it is they have kind of an impaired executive function. It just means the parent part of their brain 
and this is not my analogy, it's an analogy from reading about uh, ADHD, but the parent part of your brain just is not in charge. Like the, the toddler part of your brain is. What it wants to do, it's going to find out a way how to do it. That's, that, that's it. Now, it's going to find a way how to do it. That sounds kind of like a bad thing, but it can be a good thing. Like that's my whole career is I'm going to figure out how to get paid to do the kinds of things that I want to do. I'm going to figure out how to do it. And so when it comes to the podcast, I think that that's kind of the understanding of everything that I do is when I don't want to do it anymore, I'm not going to do it anymore. That's it. I, right. I just know I might, you know, I might have an exit strategy or, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be responsible about it because I got three kids and all that stuff. But I also, you know, my mom, when I was 13, uh, bought me a microphone and she was just like, I think you're going to be in radio. And so, and she's a talker. I've got a lot of things to say. Clearly, you can't get an edge a word in edgewise. Um, but, so when I run out of things to say, I I will stop the podcast. But that's I have a feeling that's going to be when I'm dead. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, you know this is the impact you have, right? And this is I think the impact on the right people is I've heard of ADHD, but I don't know. I didn't know anyone who identified as being that way. And so in prep for our conversation, I read up about ADHD because I felt I had to be more informed if we were going to have a conversation because I felt it was going to come up. And so I'm thankful for that opportunity of being able to do the research and be able to talk to somebody who has ADHD. So thank you for everything you're doing around that. I appreciate it. What I what I found interesting too is this whole idea of a three-day rule. Like, you know, if you if you have a decision to make, Wait three days. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I love that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely days when I was like, I can't do this anymore. It's driving me crazy. Yeah, yeah. And, and the three-day rule applies, definitely. I, I think, you know, ADHD people are typically pretty emotional people. Mm-hmm. And so I think I also learned early on, my dad's very stoic. Uh, he's not ADHD. He's a, he's a stoic guy. And he, he, one of the things he imparted on me is definitely like, you are not your emotions. And so, you know, I have, I think early on, I got good at observing emotions and, and knowing like, and I, I, always, I always think about emotions kind of like the dashboard of your car. You know, if you don't know anything about engines and you're just going by that little light on your dashboard, you might be like, I think there's a unicorn stuck in the carburetor. Like, I don't know, I don't even know those <laughs> words, but, the, um, but you, that's what your emotions are like. They show up and if you just take them on surface value, they, they seem like, oh, this means I want to stop the podcast. But nine out of 10 times, it means, you know, you didn't get enough sleep last night or, you know, you're a, you're, your social tank is low, like, cause you haven't seen people or, you know, there's a million reasons why you might be feeling something. And I, that three day rule is really good. Cause you can start to kind of get that perspective of that. This emotion doesn't, isn't what it seems that it is. You know, I, I have to say, if you ever do stop it, we'll be there for you. But I, I would hope that you <laughs> to spend three days thinking about it because there is tremendous value when I see it pop up in my feed of unplayed. I, I it's it's always something I look forward to. I really appreciate that. So I wanted to talk to you about the craft, the tools you use, some of that as well, because I think yeah, you do these wonderful pieces, and I can't wrap my mind around it. But I want to understand, mm. you know, are you using digital? Are you using physical media? Uh, I did see you using some. Um, you, you did a mural with another artist where you drew on a wall and people came in and colored with these big crayons. That is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm wondering, and I think you're using Posca markers, right? When you were, yeah. and this was in the uh, Skillshare course. So we'll talk about the Skillshare course a little bit later. Uh, that's where sure. I, I had seen it. And so I'm wondering, is 
Is that what you're working with? Are you working in digital? Like I've, I work in graphite as well as watercolor and Procreate. So I'm wondering, what are you doing now? What are you using to create these wonderful pieces that you do? Yeah. So it changes over time. Like, you know, like I said, I'm kind of a slave to my curiosity within reason. But right now, typically my process, what it looks like is I do, you know, if I, if I, let's say for the episode art, that's pretty typical to any illustration that I make. I it usually starts with con like a composition exploration and, uh, you know, different drawing, different references and stuff. But that looks like making for one picture, I'm usually sketching it five to 10 times with a light box. So that, and this is, I didn't always do this, but this is what I've been doing for the past three or four years. And it really is because, and we, we can get into this later if you want, but my belief is that the starting block of good creative work is your taste. So, and taste is a, a tricky thing to like nail down, right? So when it comes to illustration, when I'm doing those drawings, I'm listening to my body of like, when I get it and I'm like, oh, that's it. That's, that's how I want that tiger to look. Like there's something about that that is just hitting my taste buds. Like my, you know, and I'm, and so I'm looking for that as I'm redrawing stuff and I'm re and I'm trusting that for comp composition. I'm trusting that for all, all kinds of style decisions and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it starts with almost everything I draw. I draw it five or six times, uh, working and they, you know, they range and they kind of get the gap between those drawings gets smaller and smaller. So like at the start, the, the first drawing to the second drawing is wildly different. I might not even trace anything with between them because the composition's changing so dramatically or whatever. The last time I draw it, um, and these are just line drawings, the changes are really tiny. And then once I get it, but I want, by the time I get the sketch, I want, I want everything after the sketch to feel like painting by numbers, basically. That's how I, you know, and I get, so every, the sketch phase, all instrumental music. That's what I'm listening to. As soon as I get done with that, I can go to podcasts because I'm not thinking anymore. I'm just coloring. And so, um, so then after I get there, usually what it looks like now is I, I will um, use the light box on the sketch to paint with gouache. I use some colored pencils, some like, yeah, just a few different pieces, but acrylic gouache and uh, colored pencils. I have a graphite holder that I use non-photo blue lead. And a lot of my drawings, you're going to see blue lines. That's what that is. And, um, and so I do, it's kind of like a, what do you, what do you call it? Like a collage method in that I will paint different parts of the picture. Then I'll do another layer with just the lines on a piece of paper. I'll end up scanning three pieces of paper. So there'll be paint some paintings, some other paintings, and then some lines. And then I'm digitally combining those in Photoshop. And that usually looks like lately, it looks like I'm out. I don't know if this makes sense. I don't, is this, it, tell me it what is, part of it doesn't no, make it sense. It is making sense. Yeah, okay. Cause I, it's so visual. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Then I will audio podcast, then, right? So. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to be descriptive, but then I will, um, then what I'll do in Photoshop is I will draw shapes with Astropad, which I Astropad used to be a sponsor of the podcast. So I know I can just, <laughs> I could just go straight in the ad of Astropad turns your iPad into a graphics tablet for your Mac. <laughs> so it just essentially turns it into what you, you know, it's mirroring Photoshop. So you can just draw straight on your iPad. And I will just trace from my sketch that I've put in my Photoshop, the outlines of different characters and shapes. And then I will cut out 
the paintings of those from that so that they have clean edges and so that I can digitally manipulate them. And that comes in, that comes in handy for changing things, but it also comes in handy for client work where they say, get rid, delete that character. But if it's just a flat painting, I can't do that. But if I have all these layers that I've cut, knocked out everything with shapes in Photoshop, I can delete that guy, move him, I can do whatever. And that, that's kind of my process lately. Uh, do you feel like you need to change that over time? Do you feel like, are, are you flexible at how you do things? Yeah, I mean, I'm very, uh, I think probably more so than most. I, I'm kind of, I'm a big believer in this idea of like, you should let everything emanate from your why as a person. You should let your your style and all that stuff. That all that stuff is much less important than I think we think it is. We, you know, the tools and the and the expression. A lot of that's down to personal t- my taste, uh, which is always changing. And I try to let that my process and my you know, output, I try to let that just flow with my own taste and curiosity. So when I start noticing that I'm not liking anything on Instagram that feels like the kind of genre that I do, it's time to switch up genres because it's not doing it. If, I, if I'm not being true to my personal intuition and taste, that's the only metric in which I have to guide myself. It's my only guiding light. And so if my stuff isn't doing it for me, I've got, I'm in no man's land. I have, you know, I'm without a rudder. I don't know where I'm going. Right. right? Um, so I let it, I let, and, and you know, the other side of that is I've thought about how, you know, when I first started painting more, which that only happened maybe four years ago, maybe three years ago, I started incorporating a lot of painting into my process and a lot of analog stuff up into that point. I've been doing digital a lot more. Part of the thing I thought that was really cool about that is once you get really proficient with a with a particular process, that's when you start listening to, you don't listen to your taste. You start listening to rules. You start listening to, there was a point where I was drawing digitally and the characters I was drawing, the, the anatomy was just too good for my taste. It just didn't, I just don't like stuff like that. It's, it's, it does And so, but, but I was just good. I could do it. So I did. It's just like you got 256 colors. And so you use them, right? Like and that doesn't, that doesn't mean it's going to be good. And so I actually find changing your medium, changing your style, changing your process slowly is a good thing because it, you know, when, once I moved to paint, like actually all of my drawings got better when I started having to paint them because I'm not a good painter. And so when, it was, when I was doing digital stuff, I had a million tricks up my sleeves to embellish the drawing. I could make anything look good, could look good could look, you know, passable because I could do all these effects, all these, you know, all these little tricks. But once I started painting them, that's why I started doing five sketches is because if the sketch wasn't good, the painting wasn't going to be good because I didn't, I don't know any good tricks with paint. Those limitations of changing meant that I had to rely more on my taste. I had to rely, you know, like when I've seen um, musicians switch instruments for an album and then all of a sudden they're like, okay, I was on piano, but now I'm playing guitar. I only know three chords. All I can do is rely on my taste. I have to think, what could I make that would be good, that would satisfy my interests with the, the, the constraints that I have? And that's when you start really tapping into the intuitive side rather than in the technical skill side. 
there's a bunch of philosophy there that I don't know if anybody agrees with me. I don't know if it's true. It's just my concept of how I approach making. No, stuff. I think it's it's words that need to be said and words that need to be heard. And I think it it helps us in kind of putting the pieces together in our own heads. And I think what I loved hearing back when you were talking about, you know, you listen to instrumental music when you're sketching and then you move to podcasts. Mm-hmm. I've talked about this before where, you know, I'm trying to work on a novel. So I'm 65,000 words into this novel. I will listen to different music when I'm doing that versus mm. sketching on my table. Uh, oh, yeah. And there's, a, yeah, 100%. It's a huge difference having this, you know, we, I always talk about the soundtrack of our lives, right? You know, when, when we lose uh, singers, uh, John Prine and, and people like that, it's like that, that represents a point in time. And there is a creative soundtrack. And for many of us, it just helps to feed it. And it was so, it was cool to hear that you do have that. Oh, yeah. I'm in this mode. That's this. I mean, I honestly think uh, that the superpower is self-awareness. No, knowing that, knowing that part of my process is so efficient. And uh, I always tell the story or the idea of like, what's the difference between Smallville, Clark Kent, the the bumbling goofball, you know, high schooler who's really good at bailing hay, but kind of terrible at everything else. That and the movie Super Universe Saving Superman. What's the difference? You know, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, the movie one can fly, you know, the, all these superpowers, whatever. But the truth is they have the same powers. What they don't have the same of is self-awareness, the awareness of the power. And I think, you know, even what, ti- what type of music gets you in the flow? What time of day should I be working on podcast ideas? And, and what time of day should I be drawing? But, you know, all of those things, that is so much of the game. That's half the battle is just tapping into that self-awareness. And, you know, I always tell people when anybody's trying to get into jogging, because I'm, you know, I'm a big uh, jogger. And uh, I always tell people, if you're not enjoying it, you're probably not listening to the right music. And part of the reason you're probably not listening to the right music, like scientifically speaking, go look at all the studies, music Trump podcast, Trump, all kinds of things, because there's some emotional component to your run. Most people, they're not getting into it because they're taking the same taste that they have while they're sitting drawing and trying to apply that to, to running. I don't listen to Katy Perry while I'm drawing. I don't, why would I do that? But I do when I'm running because the right Katy Perry song, I'm like, boom, I'm in it. That's just a non-judgmental openness that I think is also kind of a, an important factor, but I'm, I'm really laughing very hard inside because I don't want to share what I listen to if I go running, but I'll talk openly yeah. about what I, what I listen to, what I draw. Yeah. No judgment. Yeah. If it works for the run, yeah. you put it on that playlist. That's my, that's my opinion. Yeah. That's funny. So I asked Lisa the same question and that is, are you concerned because you have such a large following on social media now, do you second guess yourself when you have this thought of, I'm going to try something new or different? Do you start to think about, I need to be worried about my listener audience? And how does, how does, how does the Andy brain deal with that? Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good question. I, you know, I will, I will, um, I'll answer it kind of in two different ways. One for the podcast. I probably think about that more for the podcast than I do for Instagram or, or other places. The truth is I'm always slightly changing things all the time. So it's everything's always changing, but it's always incremental. And there's this great story. It comes from a business book, which I don't, my friend told me it, but the story is about a pastor that gets hired 
to a, a new pastor to a new church. He's going to speak to the the first Sunday, and he notices that at this church, the piano is right in the middle of the stage, and he just thinks it's ridiculous. So the first thing he does is he just moves, wheels the piano to the side, and that change ended up losing him his job. So they fired him. <laughs> it's like, you're in here moving stuff. Like, get out of here. You're like shaking up the whole thing. So then he goes and gets another job somewhere else. And then one, like seven years later, he comes back and the pastor that got hired after him is still there. And the piano is in a different place. And he's like, how did you move the piano and keep your job? And he's like, an inch every Sunday. <laughs> and it's, and that, and that's when you have a following. And, you know, I think about this, like, you know, the band, the bands that will just come out with a new album in a totally different genre. Like there, I think, um, first of all, you got to put that in perspective because there's the expectation that you're setting for your audience is huge. So if you are the type of person that wants to change things all the time, that's a type of consistency. Think about Radiohead. Radiohead, they come to expect a different, th a totally different thing. Compare that to Beach House. Beach House is like, we wrote the same songs, but we changed three words. And that's what I want with, <laughs> with Beach House, right? Like, that's what I'm expecting. And so you got to be, you know, I do think if you're going to build any kind of relationship, consistency is key. And for me, the consistency that I wanted to maintain was, first of all, I'm going to be someone who's not bound by medium. So if you're a fan of me, you already know that. You already know I'm not an illustrator. I'm, I do a bunch of creative things. That's just what I'm going to do. And, and if you're going to follow along, you already know that. So you're expecting that. Another thing you're going to expect is just every, it's always evolving. The podcast is every episode I'm trying out something slightly different. It might not, but it's so small, it's not perceptible. Like I think most of the time. And so I think understanding just understanding that a relationship to an audience, um, like again, if you're so rich that you don't, it doesn't matter what your audience thinks come out and you want to come out with a totally different weird sound on the next album, do it. That's fine. I don't care. Understand that you're going to lose half your audience. Just know that, but you can also be creative about that. You know, the people that I think do it well, then they, they just start another band and that's their side band. This band does this, this band does that thing you got with the audience is a relationship, right? All relationships require some level of fidelity <laughs> to, to what the thing was built on. Right. Yeah. I, I'm glad you're taking it slow and easy with us then. <laughs> so appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying. I try. <laughs> so you were talking about public speaking. You do a lot of this. I've seen a few mm -hmm. of your talks and you've done some Skillshare classes as well. And I wanted to bring up the Skillshare because I just did the find your style class which I thought was great. So I went Thank in you. thinking, well, Andy doesn't draw the kind of stuff that I draw. I work on graphite largely, largely realism, largely animals. Yeah. And I thought, I don't know what I'm going to learn, but I'm going to watch it anyways. And I came away from that rethinking how I do art. And I'm not going to you know, give it away because I think there's people need to watch it. It's You need to go through the experience yourself. And the way you approach it using some modern tools, modern, modern social media tools, I think is, is just wonderful. It's a wonderful way to look at it. I think that the positive comments that you see on the site are, are warranted. Absolutely. Thank you. Really appreciate it. When I, one of the things you talk about is when you draw a shoe or a boot, you're not drawing, you're drawing Andy's shoe, your version of a shoe or a boot. And I'm thinking, how do I apply that to what I do? And then I started looking at, 
I do draw a lot of birds. And so I draw a lot of eyes and a lot of beaks. And I'm thinking, I draw eyes and beaks a certain way. And what I did for Inktober, so I did Inktober this year, I did 31 drawings on one big sheet. And when I look at the work I did, which was, wasn't really a lot of realism, it was really just, I was, now I've got a, I want to write a children's book after this, but mm. <laughs> I, I'm looking at all the, the, the work I did and I'm drawing the eyes I drew before in some of the characters I'm doing. And I was thinking, he's right. You know, like it's developing this reference library of what you do well uh, that is part of finding your style and becoming an artist. And I just wanted you to maybe talk about that course and maybe a couple of the other ones. And maybe, I, I don't know, like I think that's the struggle we all have, right, is, is finding our style. And we think that we can go to college or university to find it or that we go to a mentor. But your approach to it is, is really well done. And I don't know if you can speak to that at all. I appreciate it. Yeah, I would love to. I, this is one of my favorite topics of finding your style. It's really finding, finding yourself, finding your, finding your point of view and, and how, you, how you apply that consistently. The way I define style is just your consistent decisions. Anything you do consistently from piece to piece, that's your style, right? And, and my favorite definition uh, that I've ever heard is uh, Hitchcock said that style is just self-plagiarism. And this is how I want people to think about it. And this is why I think style is important. I don't think it's important for the reasons that we think it is. I think we, th we think style is important because we think that's what people like about what we do. I don't actually think that that's true. What I think is important is the self-plagiarism because if you think of creativity, I, I think of creativity in a very scientific way. I do think there's some magic in there. I think there's some serendipity. There's all kinds of really cool things that are outside of it. but on the most basic level, every creative act is a series of decisions. That's why taste is so important is because it, that's the thing that helps you nav navigate those decisions, good or bad. Making choices, making good choices. That's so much of what art is about. And, but, but the problem is every single creative endeavor is hundreds, thousands of micro decisions. And, the, and, and we have a level of decision fatigue that you're, you're going to burn out on. But the thing that happens is with Hitchcock is what he'll do is, okay, we're, we're setting up this scene. How are we going to frame it? What's the, you know, how are we, what's the symmetry? What's all, how that, how's that going to, what's the composition of this, this framing? And what they end up doing is saying, you know what? I like the way we framed that door the last time we made that movie. Let's just do that. And then he stole that again and he stole it again and he stole it again from himself. And eventually that's called his style. And so the reason why that's important isn't just so that people will recognize your work. That's something that's, you know, or, or people will appreciate the aesthetic. That's something. But I think ultimately it's because it allows you to, to put all of your energy into the most important choices rather than getting fatigued off the first choices or, or the choices that you can do. So when I go make an illustration, the only thing I'm thinking about is you know, in story, what would be called the armature, which is just, what is the heart? What's the point? And I can spend almost all my, my if I have a week to do an illustration, I can spend the first, first four days thinking about what it, why, what do I want to say? What's the point of making this thing? Because once I start putting pencil to paper, I've already made 99 out of hundred of those decisions because I've just made so many things. And so that's why I think style matters. And I think that kind of matters to anybody. And, and style is as much about what you choose, the content you choose, what resonates with you, what your muse is, essentially, 
all the way down to how you draw an eye or how, you know, more aesthetic choices. But yeah, that, that's why it's a huge deal to me. As I say, I really enjoyed that course. I think uh, for the listener, you need to try it out. And uh, it's not very long, but it's, it's well-produced. It's entertaining. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of silliness in there. I, you know, I, at some point uh, in my process, in the podcast, I got into a point uh, early on. I, had, I was doing side projects. I had to choose between pouring more energy into the podcast or more into kids' book pitches, both of which I wasn't getting paid for at the time. So I had to kind of make a choice. And I decided to go with podcasting, but I was kind of like bummed because Picture books felt like art. Podcasting didn't feel like art. And I had to make a decision for my own sanity to just be like, I don't care if anybody else sees this as art. This is going to be art to me. And I kind of feel like I learned that anything you treat as art will be. If you're a waiter, you treat it, everyone's had that waiter, that this is an art form to them. I felt like I was given a spiritual gift by being served by this human, right? That's up to you. You Whatever you treat like art, it's going to be art. And so I, I started treating podcasting that way. The reason I bring it up is because at some point I just uh, decided upon this philosophy of education is an art form. When it, because Daniel Pink, who wrote To Sell as Human, he talks about how every single role in society requires some level of sales. And it is often about whether it's whether that person is successful or not at what they are trying to do, including teachers. You, the teacher that changed your life wasn't just the person who knew the most about history. They're the people that sold you on history. They're like, this is why this matters. These are, those are the people that treated history as an art form, right? So that, that, that's what that class, you know, that's, that was the, my favorite expression of that idea to date was let's make this a piece of art, but it's a, you know, it's a class. It is a piece of art. It's, it's fun. <laughs> I tried. I don't know. We'll get them next time. I got more ideas actually. So I, I wanted to uh, ask you if someone was to, hasn't heard your podcast before and they wanted to jump into it, should they just do the most recent episode or is there one or two that you would flag as being these really meant a lot to me, and I think that a new artist would get something out of that. I'm putting yeah, you on the spot think, a bit, having done so. No, many, that's a great. That's great. I, you know, one of the ones I tell people is 229, episode 229. We that's a that's the first one we really dive into the idea of taste. Um, we go into that a lot later as well, but I feel like that gives kind of a. a I think it will give them a taste, no pun intended, for um, the philosophical approach because the every one of the things I'm just a deep believer in is that there's a, the philosophy of an actor to an artist, to a musician, to whatever, they're all different. And the craft and the mechanics are different. There's a thread. There's a, you know, when it comes to getting in the flow state, it's all the same. And that's where your best work comes from. There's so much overlap. And the, and the podcast is not for illustrators. It's not for people who draw. It's just literally people that want to be making stuff from that flow. Uh, and, and so I feel like that episode 229 kind of gives a, kind of sets the stage of like, this is probably not like other creative podcasts um, that you've heard. And, and it's, and I'll just tell them this too. I've got kind of a, uh, my ADHD means that my personality is large. I don't know if that's the right <laughs> word. So I've heard some people need a few episodes to get, be like, oh, I know this guy. And let me just tell you, I'm holding back. I'm holding back. So, you know, just, yeah, you'll grow to like me, um, hopefully, or you'll just stick around for the tips because the tactics and tips are good, regardless of how you feel about my weird t 
tangents. <laughs> it's, we're all unique, and I uh, right. appreciate your uniqueness. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That's cool. Thanks. Out of all the work that you've done, can you pick one or two that you are most proud of? And I will include with that the podcast. But what work, when you look back and you think, I really, that meant a lot to me. Maybe it wasn't your best uh, illustrative work, but it meant a lot because it hit you at the right time in life. What would you think would be one or two of those things that you did? You know, I'm. this is probably a, uh, right in line with the cliche of a creative person. It's like, it's always the last thing you made. You're like, that was it. That's how I got it. You know? So the, the funny thing is the things that I would reference are things that haven't come out yet. One of which, this is a good answer, I think, because it, it proves a, an important point. There's a manuscript uh, for a kid's book that I wrote called uh, Mystery House. I don't know if I should be saying that or not, but I whatever. In that uh, manuscript, it does what a story, what I like when a story does this, like that it does, it, it hits my taste. And it, it, it's mechanically, it just works as a story. It just works like the last word is very satisfying because all the pieces were put in place to knock that over, right? It's like a domino thing. It's just, very, it's like as satisfying as watching like one of those huge domino things, you know, like that's what that little, little tiny book feel. And I, and actually, you know, I have some friends that have read it and really like it for sure. I've had some good feedback from people that I trust, but that's one of the first times and I have maybe one other thing, but that's one of the first times where I'm just like, I am satisfied by that, by just the way it satisfies my own creativity. I don't know if anybody will buy it. I don't know. I just know this is what I like. And I did what I set out to do. And it's my taste. And I'm really proud of it. So that's one thing. There's another thing. I've been working on a new talk that I've only tried out one other time on a virtual situation. And it was the first time I've always, my buddy Kyle, uh, I told him that we're, we're both public speakers. And I say, you know, we're kind of like the opposite of stand-up comics because we're going for emotional resonance. We're going for, we're going, we're going for tears instead of laughs. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Oh, the opposite of stand-up comic, you mean like a lay down tragic. And so that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of what I consider myself. This new talk, all the other talks I've ever given are a little bit more like chronological of telling my story they're a little bit more, there's a, they're a little bit more illustrator talk. They're a talk about my work, but the newest talk that I've been working on is more structured like standup. It's just like, these are my best stories. I figured out a thread to work it th through all of them. And I'm just like really excited. I'm right at the beginning. Like I've tried it out once and I'm workshopping it. And I'm just like really excited to see what that ends up being. That's awesome. So are we. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, you know, I have these additional questions that I always think, maybe I'll pull one up and I, I have, I think I have one that I really want to hear what your answer mm -hmm. will be, but I just wanted to ask you because you did something recently in creating this new group of people. Oh yeah. And I just wanted to, if you can talk about this company, this organization you created and and what it is and why you did it. I just think hearing those, these additional stories is helpful. Absolutely. So we just launched a company at the beginning of 2020 called CoLoop, and it's an artist management company, essentially. But I think we always thought of it as like an umbrella company, which is just a business that exists to help creative people thrive. So in different ways, we collaborate with artists to take care of certain aspects of business that are getting in the way of their practice. And, and part of how we're doing that is 
the heart of co-loop, you know, the co, that kind of, that is about cooperation. It's about collaboration. It's about, it's essentially about kind of phase two of how I want to help creative people long-term. So the first way I wanted to help people was to buy, was to encourage them to empower themselves with education. And the truth is that will take you really far. If you'll do that, that will take you really far, but you are going to hit a ceiling. You're going to hit a ceiling where the only way to break through that is to go together, to go with somebody else, is to join arms with other artists. That's part of what the agency is about, is how do we collect resources? Our agency is different in that it's not, we're not just representing seven different artists all on their own island. You know, every month we have a call together, we have individual calls, we have collaborative projects, we share resources, we introduce people for, to each other. You know, that's, that's what it's about because it's about phase two is when you get to a point where you can't go any further on your own, that's what this company is designed to do is take some people that have some similar values that, you know, believe in going together that have gone pretty much as far as they can go alone and getting them together with a few other people that can help them break through that next layer. Now I will just mention, just tease it out. I don't know if it'll happen. Maybe I'll, I don't know if I'll live this long. I don't know if I have the capabilities, but phase three is once you, you know, empowered yourself, went together. Third thing is at some point there is going to be a ceiling of your environment and society and the rules of the, the game. And so, you know, I have a dream. I don't, I couldn't do this on my own. I mean, I couldn't do this last entity. I started with my agent, Ryan Appleton. Uh, I couldn't do that on my, on my own. So I don't, I don't know, I don't have a picture of how I would go about doing this, but eventually phase three is about just enacting change on the system. How do we get it so that being a freelancer isn't so burdensome? Like the cards are stacked against you from the get go, just tax law, healthcare, like there's every single thing in this country is stacked against the little guy, you know, especially the creative person. You know, our, our whole, our education system, our government, all of that stuff, it is not built to have creative people thrive. So phase three is, I don't know, lobbying the government. I don't know. I don't know what that is, but that eventually I would like to be some small influence on the system because I think that's the third thing. Yeah. I think, you know, if you go back to a recent podcast where you're quoted in a book and I don't remember the author, but you were talking yeah. about the problem with the middle, right? And yes. I'm I'm glad to hear that that this is on your radar because yeah it's Bill Derezowitz and uh, William Derezowitz Death of the Artist really interesting book it just came out I was a part of the artist interviews and I'm featured at, throughout that book but it's a really good it's a it's a look from a, a scholar and uh, a researcher from the Ivy League world into the situation for artists trying to thrive and and it's a kind of it's a realistic picture it, there's some scary stuff in there but I think. I think it's, it's the start. The start is always diagnosis, mm -hmm. right? You can't cure anything you haven't diagnosed. So that's kind of what it is. Okay. So I'll include a link to in the show notes to the book, but also, sure. I'm also going to include a link to that uh, podcast episode because I thought that was really helpful and kind of, of pulling uh, some of that information out. It was really good. Yeah. So before I ask you about homework, because, you know, you're the teacher, I need the homework. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wanted to ask you this question, and that is, if you had a chance to have lunch with a fictional person, fictional thing, fictional whatever, who would it be? I think it would be, you know what's coming from Fraggle, right? <laughs> um, I, I think it would be, there's a character on Fraggle Rock, if you don't know, this is a 
puppet show mm-hmm. by the Henson Company in the 80s Loved for it. your listeners. Who, it's my favorite thing of all time. There was an episode with a character, a fraggle, a traveling fraggle named Cantus. And he's kind of Yoda-ish before. I, th- I mean, well, I guess it was after Yoda. But um, And by the way, Henson Company made Yoda. They were very instrumental in all that. But he's very Yoda-ish, uh, you know, speaks kind of in riddles. And um, it's voiced by Jim Henson. And it, he is just like, he's just that spiritual character. I'd love to just get analyzed by, I need his wisdom. I want to hear what would he say? Like he helps all their fraggles find their song. I would love to um, be tutored by him to find my song. <laughs> That's what I would do. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was, I asked you that question thinking I would get a great answer, which I did. But the other thing I was thinking about uh, in, in the Skillshare course is you mentioned Barbara Papa or the, Oh yeah. And I hadn't heard about that in years, and I used to watch that so much with Barbara Mama yeah. and Barbara Boo and everybody else. It was yeah. that loud There's flashback. A, man, yeah. I mean, I'm a, such a bit. One of the things we talk about in the class is just collecting things that collecting resonance of like what are the things, and yeah, I mean that's one Moomin. There's there's so many things that just like you they're you know they're the, they're the movies you go watch with your friends and you walk out of the theater and your life was changed and you're like, what'd you guys think? And they're like, it was all right. You're like pay attention to those things. That's something about your point of view. Right. And Barbara Papa's one, like most people don't even know what that is. Yeah. That, they all think we're speaking a different language or punk in them or something. Um, but go check it out. Barbara Papa. That's really cool. I remember coming out of a movie theater. I think it was uh, Jacob's ladder. I haven't seen that. It's uh, it's, it's, I think it's a wonderful movie. And, and we actually went and saw it twice. I remember coming out crying with a friend of mine. And I think it was the first mm-hmm. time that a, a, a friend of mine saw me crying. And it was like, this is weird. What is, <laughs> what is this that's happening yeah. in my eyes? Uh, like I knew what crying was, but I did do it in front of the guys, right? But yeah, uh, yeah it's, uh, that's, that's interesting. So I wanted to ask you, as I do with every guest, for some homework for the listener, something they can walk away with and, and yeah. take and try and move their creative journey forward. And I'm wondering what your homework would be. So I have two ideas, actually. Um, since you asked me this, uh, we can do the six-year-old tattoo or we can do the synesthetic leap or we can do both. I can give you both, whatever you want. I think, I think <laughs> both. Cause I, I really want to okay. know what they are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. They're, they're simple, but they're both just creative prompts. Mm-hmm. Um, the first prompt is the six-year-old tattoo. This is something that I started thinking about when I was really getting serious about finding my style. This was one of the ideas that came up was I started diving deep. I wanted basically. I realized that so much of what I thought my personal taste was, was uh, really a product of trends and cultural moments and what my friends thought were cool and all that. And I thought, if I'm really going to create from the heart, I'm going to have to make something that is really what I just love, whether anybody else thinks it's okay or not. And I started thinking about, you know, when in my life did I just like what I liked unapologetically? One of my favorite experiences, I, I call it the birth of cool in my life, was um, when I found what was really cool was uh, I, I had this buddy, Matt. He was the, like the, 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 what do you call it? The, um, the captain of the football team. Huge, you know, like manly guy. And uh, the day the second NSYNC album came out, he was first in line. And, and I remember he's like, you know, everybody knows this. And I, and 
And I remember being like, don't tell people that. (laughs) That's a bad idea. This is social suicide. Don't do that. And he was just like, like, this is what I like that. I love that album. It's amazing. And he just did not care. And so I was trying to get to that because that that's what you want to create from. And, um, this unapologetic acceptance of self, that's that, you know, I've been thinking about that with comedians. Like I feel like comedians, anybody that can own themselves to the degree of making fun of it, that's where you're doing your thing. So anyway, six-year-old tattoo, what I started doing in that time was I was trying to get into the taste of myself before I knew what I was supposed to think was cool. And I just went back to when I was six years old, what were the things that I was like, I am obsessed with this. And I started thinking, what would I, this is the homework. What would it look like you designed a tattoo for your six-year-old self and the rules are you have to think it's amazing and your six-year-old self would have to be, would think it was amazing. You have to hit hit the taste of both of those two people. And the reason why that's interesting is you're going to find something timeless about yourself where if you and your six-year-old self like it, your 90-year-old self is going to love it too. And there's just something pure about the essence of that. Um, So that's the first one. I'll tell you the second one. The second one is a big favorite of mine. Go ahead. No, what no. you going to say? I was, it's so funny. Things you say always trigger something in my mind. And so mm. I'm going to come out publicly and say, I like the Spice Girls. Yeah, <laughs> and my, bro. And my I'm wife, so proud. My wife always laughs at me. <laughs> but I remember yes. seeing them on a French in talk show and they were singing the song for the you know, their, their hit, the first hit for yeah. this. And I was thinking that these ladies are going somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I am so, that, you know what's amazing about that? You just gave every one of your listeners permission to own their taste, what they like unapologetically. That honestly, like that's so much more important. Like I, you know, I think about hitting that sweet spot of being critically acclaimed and having a a raving audience, you know, Rotten Tomatoes of the audience score and the critic score being really high. Like that's just, uh, I think that's a terrible, that's a terrible target to try to hit because it, the, the critics are, you know, when I sell a book, I'm always thinking about there's a difference between the, the, the essence, which is the coffee and then how you serve it, which is the cup. And all the artists want to just give it to people raw. They should be like, here's the hot coffee, straighten your hands, take it or leave it. It's just not how we drink coffee, okay? You know, the cup that you put it in, when I'm selling it, they, they're concerned about cultural rev- relevance. They're not concerned about timeless greatness. That's not, and that's what creatives are concerned about. And they're concerned about their own point of view and their own taste. So when you're going to sell it, you know, when I go to sell it, I'm going to think about, what is relevant about this? Hopefully I'm touching on a truth that's timeless, but what about this truth? Timeless truth is timely. Let's talk. I will address that because I know that's what they're thinking. Anyway, the reason I say all that is I think you can satisfy yourself and I think you can satisfy the people that share your taste. And I think that should be your point of view. And, uh, and what I'm trying to tell you, Mike, is you need to connect with the Spice World fans. That's you need to create a Spice World community for Spice Girl fans that are illustrators. Um, <laughs> that was that was my soundtrack years ago. I, I'm saying that I yeah. I was a fan, and then you know I'm a little bit disturbed about uh, how things fell apart a little bit. But yeah. you know it it represents it like when I hear the songs, I think back to these really good memories of certain points in my life, and then I also yeah. think about my wife saying. You know, I remember you talking about the Spice Girls, and I don't like the Spice Girls. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that about the time amazing. when I met her. But um, 
Yeah. But yeah, well, I, gl- I love it because you just gave permission to all your all of your listeners to own their weird taste, trust it, lean into it. There's a bunch of people on this planet. Speaking of Kevin Kelly, you know, thousand true fans thing like that. Uh, we didn't speak about it, yeah. but I'm bringing it up now. Um, uh, <laughs> it's always in the back of my mind. There are a thousand people that like that weird thing that you like, and they'll give you a hundred bucks a year. If they're that, if they, if you are nailing it for them, that's a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Okay. So you, that's what your responsibility is to those people and to your own personal taste as weird and silly and we, whatever it is. And, and getting to that six-year-old tattoo thing that you're going to come in contact with some of that. I'll give you the second homework. Okay. So the second homework is the synesthetic leap, just synesthesia. I think synesthesia is, that's a, it's a creative um, prompt for me. I like, I think that a lot of poetry, I can go really abstract and the pontificating on this because it's just, I, I don't know, this is my thing. Like the oneness of all things of like people, synesthesia, if you don't know, it, your listeners, um, if they might not know, it's, it's whenever senses overlap. So, and it's a phenomenon. And it, there's a whole mess of different types of synesthesia. One, uh, the most common kind of example that you hear about is people that see music. So people like um, Lord and Kanye West, these are people that have synesthesia. They have a, such a heightened sensitivity to music, they see it as color. Like they actually, when they hear something, it's like a, they're experiencing a color. I actually have a really lame type of synesthesia where I associate personality with numbers. I think it's one of the reasons why I sucked at math is like, they're like, why haven't you finished your times table? I'm like, well, there are all these numbers are arguing. Seven's a total jerk. And he's met, you know, how can you pay attention? But anyway, anybody can use synesthesia as a creative prompt because one of the things I will do is I'll, I'm an illustrator, uh, but I'll create a playlist of inspiration and I'll say, I want my illustration to sound like that. And, and it's just, and, and there's something about the poetic leap of trying something in that space is poetic to me. And you're going to find some kind of, some kind of truth by seeing it from a distance, seeing your practice from a distance of like, Oh, my, myself on a playlist is so different to the way that I approach illustration. How do I bridge that gap? Um, but you can do that any art form, you know, dance is a synesthetic leap to music. Just like this song looks like this. You know what I mean? Like that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so that's my second one is just whatever you are. If, if you're um, someone who draws, maybe you need to take uh, it could be music. It could be film. It could be smells. Like, how do you want your, how do you want this drawing to smell? You know, just, yeah, take, take, take that as a creative prompt. That's fun. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you where people can find you online, but I have a quick one more question. And that is, do you still find time to create for you? Yeah, I definitely do. There's, a, there's kind of a, a healthy way of approaching creativity in my mind is just doing it like it's an ecosystem. Do it like it's a, a food pyramid. You know, do, do it like it's never just, oh, I'm an illustrator. That's what I do. Um, I'm always indulging the curiosity. So right now, that mostly looks like we produced a few videos for... Um, YouTube last year, just put them on YouTube. And I've been collaborating with this video guy, editor, Connor Jones, almost everything we've done, I've just paid for out of pocket and there's no clear return on investment. It's mostly just me wanting to explore video and I'm just 
that's the most fun I have right now is making some of them are to do with the podcast. Um, some of them are for Skillshare. Um, some of them are go to my Instagram at Andy J pizza when you, you know, um, you're going to see one of my Instagram TV videos is me doing a workout lesson that nobody asked for it. <laughs> I don't know if anybody wanted it, but I had a blast. That was one of the most fun, creative outlets I've had in the past couple of years. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So Andy, you, let's talk about where people can find you online. So you talked about Instagram. I'm at Andy J pizza on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and um, I'm mainly, I'm most active on Instagram. If you're into podcasts, go and you've liked this, go check out creative pep talk podcast. And um, you can go to AndyJPizza.com. That I just relaunched my website. All kinds of cool stuff to look at and dive into there. Yeah, it's uh, you did a good job on that. Thank you. I was a website designer for years, and I need to really take my own kind of <laughs> thoughts to heart and re- rework mine. But yours looks brilliant. It's hard to do that. Yeah. It's hard to be your own client. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And then the other thing I'll link to is your Skillshare. Yeah. Because you have a few courses there as well. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. We love Skillshare. I, I, those two classes are, I, I'm so proud of them because we, it's a real collaboration with them. They, they provided things that, uh, it's a Skillshare original and they had content producers that worked with me and they just, uh, they, they really rounded out some things that I don't, uh, just in terms of outlining and, and prompting like, Oh, you know, what, how could we turn this to an actionable thing? Or let's add the, you know, uh, so the end product, those two classes are two of my favorite things I've ever made. I mean, if you ever make a course and it involves a costume, you know, it's good, right? <laughs> That's right. There's several costumes <laughs> in the second class. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. Great. Well, thank you, Andy J pizza for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think, um, people listening will just feel motivated, inspired. I hope they take away your homework and do something with that and spend some time browsing your your catalog of information and art and uh, check out the Skillshare site as well. I really enjoyed this. And, Thank you so much for making the time. Well, I really appreciate it. And I just want to say one other thing, you know, um, uh, that book, Death of the Artist, one of the things that William discovered by interviewing people was any, just making creative creative work whatsoever requires so much resilience because all of the critics, all no, almost nobody in this world says, you know what? I think I'm an artist and everyone around them is like, great. We want to do it. Like, you know, you have pretty much nobody encouraging you. So Mike, I'm so grateful that you're making creative work and you're not just doing it yourself. You're out there encouraging other people to do the same. And, uh, thanks for what you're doing. Keep doing it, man. Thanks Andy. Appreciate it. Show notes, including links to everything Andy and I spoke about can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 42. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the newsletter on the website and share the podcast with someone you know. You can find links to the Patreon for the show and all my social media accounts at drawinginspiration.fm. I wanted to wish you a happy holidays, regardless of how you may celebrate this time of year. Remember to take care of yourself first. You can't help others if you don't reach for that oxygen mask first. Spend some time reflecting on the year. Seek to find the positive and use that to build something special for 2021. Most of all, connect with family and friends, albeit virtually and check in on a few people to make sure they're doing okay. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Until next time, be kind to one another, and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod.